Have you been thinking about starting a podcast but aren't sure where to start? I have to tell you about Anchor. It's a free creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Not only that, but with literally one click, they distribute your podcast to platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more so you can reach more listeners. They make it so easy. It was a no-brainer for us. Try it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work because business is personal. Today, we're going to talk about engagement. We thought that engagement would be a good follow-up to our alignment podcast because generally when people are aligned with an organization, they're also engaged. Engagement is often measured by companies through surveys, and Gallup's been measuring it for years. Uh, Engagement is just how committed, connected, and passionate someone is at their work. And we see lots of engagement and disengagement throughout organizations all over the place. It's something that we talk about in every single company that we go into. And so I thought I would ask Don, what are some of your favorite stories about engagement? Well, Diana, I'm going to actually tell you three stories about engagement. So I'm going to tell you a story about three different employees. The first story, the first employee uh, is somebody who noticed that in their company, they were losing some money. Uh, So these project managers, they each did things their own way and they had access to multiple software systems to get information that they needed. But this was creating a lot of lost time entering the same information into multiple platforms and giving status updates that required access to all these different stat- these different systems. So this employee had an idea. What if the company could create a common system for all project managers that made information more accessible? So the employee brought the idea to their supervisor who elevated it up to their boss and on up the chain. And after a couple of weeks, the employee was talking to the VP of the company about the idea. The VP assigned this employee to a special task force to run with the idea. This task force worked over the course of the next couple of years with this team that was a global team that ended up creating this company-wide software system that ended up saving the company an estimated $100 million per year in productivity. That's what this employee was able to start, $100 million a year in productivity. That's more than I make in a year. What? You don't need them? No, not quite. Not yet. Not quite that much, Bethany. Um, But we'll get there. Now, let's talk about the second employee. The second employee also saw some opportunities to make some improvements. This employee saw that customer service calls were being mishandled because of poor information and inadequate training. This employee spoke about those observations a lot, but they talked to their coworkers instead of talking to their boss. And all the coworkers also saw the opportunity, but nobody brought it to the observations of management. So the idea just kind of floated out there and never got action was never taken. So let's go to our third employee. Now, the third employee was actually a supervisor and the supervisor was in charge of leading a safety meeting. Uh, So here's how this worked. The supervisor was charged with reading a safety bulletin to the employees and then was responsible for administering a quiz to the employees to ensure that they had mastered the material. The supervisor was frustrated with the company. Okay. Instead of reading the material, the supervisor actually would hand out the quiz and the material to everyone and then would say, read the material on your own, and then just gave the answers to the quiz. Just said, okay, everybody pull out your quiz, pull out your pencils. Okay, the answers are C, A, B, C, D. Any questions? All right, let's get to work. 
and we just hand those out. So what's the difference between those three employees? And the answer, as Diana's already talked about, is engagement. The first employee was clearly engaged in their work and took a risk and put in extra work to make the company better. The second employee was clearly disengaged. They do their job and they go home. They don't offer anything extra. They may have a great idea on something to improve the company, but they don't really even see it as their role to bring the, bring it out or to risk saying anything. And then the third employee is what we would call as toxic. They're deliberately working against the company. They're so misaligned against the company that they're fighting against it and leading other people in the wrong direction. Now, obviously, if you think about this, which employee do you want to have on your team? Who do you want to work for? Who do you want to work with or who do you want to work for you? The answer is obvious, but what might not be so obvious is that all three employees were actually the same person. And in this case, all three were me. Uh, I was describing true stories of myself at different phases of my career working at different places. See, engagement is kind of a funny thing. People aren't always engaged or always disengaged or always toxic. We tend to flow in and out of this each state throughout our career and sometimes even on a given day. What causes this and what impacts does this have on an individual team and company? What, what, how does that impact everybody? And that's what we wanted to talk about today. Yeah. And I think, it, let me pick it up from here, Don. I, I, I appreciate the story. And, and I had heard the third part, incidentally, by the way, I'd heard the third person. I knew the third person was you, but you even threw me a curveball that time. I didn't know one and two were also you. I'm full of surprises, Matt. You'll find I'm kind of a mystery wrapped in an, in an enigma. <laughs> I like it. Nothing stale. It's good. With new new conversation here. So let me start with kind of a foundational question for everybody. If we're talking about this idea of engagement, first of all, foundationally, why is it even important in the first place? Why do we care so much about an engaged uh, you know group of workers? For one thing, I would say you know, being engaged or having an engaged team is just more fun. Work is way more fun. Um, and it maybe at least has more purpose for you. So, um, you know, I would say we, I think we've probably all had jobs where we've been disengaged and, um, you know, getting up every day and going to that job kind of sucks. And so <laughs> if we're engaged, um, yeah. you know, that makes, that makes a huge difference in going to work every day and being excited about what you're doing. Yeah. And I'm going to play the other side of that too. And Diana, I'm going to throw this one to you because it's how many times have we been across the table from maybe business owners or managers or, you know, bosses that we're working with going, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool that they're having fun, but I need more. So how does engagement also not only, you know, take the fun, but, but what are the other impacts positively from engagement? I'm so glad you threw this to me because I don't care if people have fun at work. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just need that people true. to be <laughs> no, I'm here. kidding. I'm kidding. I want people to have fun. But studies have shown that people who are engaged in work have higher productivity, higher output, and that in turn makes the company more money. So the more engaged people you can have at your company, the more money you're going to make. That yeah, I, I think there's an there's definitely an equation, and this is why I wanted to throw it to Diana because we've been a part of those conversations a lot. Where you know I, I start off going yeah, but they're going to have more fun, they're going to enjoy their jobs more, and to employees that's something I can get behind, right? To owners of companies going that's great, and I don't want to diminish you know quote unquote fun time. Uh, but what does that look like for productivity? What does that look like for efficiency? You know those those types of things too, and so. 
you know, if, if we're saying, yes, they'll enjoy their job. Yes, product productivity increases. Yes, uh, by increasing engagement or just simply engaging your people, you know, uh, sales might increase, um, efficiencies might increase, safety incidences might might improve as well. Those types of things by, by simply having an engaged workforce. But so we don't get on these buzzwords like engaged and and uh, and things like that. What does what are we talking about? So what does engagement actually look like maybe to staff? Uh, you know, the, the employees of the company, the managers, the executives, those types of things. What does engagement look like, uh, Don? Yeah, I think that engagement, I like to think of it as like realizing your own potential a little bit. Like we talk about empowerment as that process to it. But I think empowerment and engagement are sort of like cousins of each other. If I feel empowered at work and I feel aligned in the direction I'm going, then I'm probably going to be engaged. That's kind of like the output. Like I'm, I'm going to be engaged. I'm going to be able to do something. It's really how aligned are you or how, how, how all in are you? Are you willing to offer everything that you are? Sometimes we talk to teams and, uh, you know, they'll say, hey, I just I'm missing talent. I don't have very talented people. I'm looking for more people. I need better people. And, and whenever I hear a, a manager or somebody say that about a large team, a team that has more than you know, just a couple people on it, and they say, boy, none of my people are talented. None of my people are plugged in. What I hear, the consultant translation in my, the back of my mind, and I think you all would probably agree with this, is I hear something else is wrong. Mm-hmm. Something else is wrong. It's, it's weird to have a whole bunch of people yeah. on a team and all of them are bad. Like yeah. that's, that's hard to get. Usually if people are engaged, you're discovering talent. They're, they're, they're putting out things that you didn't think about before. Um, they're, yeah. they're, they're really plugged in. We've talked about that before, Don, too, and, and how you how you've said and it always rings true. And I can't tell you how many times I've brought it up. But what man, everybody is bad. Everybody is is unplugged. Like, what are the chances a good one didn't sneak through there? Like you would have thought you would have lucked into an engaged employee at some point, right? You know, and, and so and so Yeah. And so I think that I think that's true, but that's also I don't know, maybe this outside insight that we can also help, you know, leaders and managers kind of see for them, uh, see that they don't, that they don't necessarily see because they're in it day to day too. So um, what does, let's, let's flip the coin just a little bit. What does disengagement look like? How can I tell? Bethany, what do you think? I was thinking, you know, when I recognized times in the past that I was disengaged, um, I wasn't necessarily, you know, a bad employee even. Um, I think in I think in those situations, if I recognized that I was disengaged, I was actually just kind of too comfortable in my job. Um, so I kind of just did what I was supposed to do. I didn't do a lot, you know, I didn't do much beyond that. Um, so for me, I think my story was that I sort of felt like for a while I was really engaged and excited about my job. I shared ideas, but maybe it didn't seem like they were received or like, you know, I had the blessing to move them forward. So at some point, I just kind of slowed down and stopped sharing ideas unless I was really asked. Um, and so I slipped into this mindset of, you know, they want me to just meet these goals. So that's what I'm going to try to do. Um, and so yeah. and that seems to be what they appreciated. But I wasn't super motivated and excited about my job. Yeah. So, Don, I mean, according to what Bethany is talking about there, and we've seen this time and time again, and if you can imagine the, the engaged, the disengaged, the toxic, I think employers feel like we're hiring engaged people, right? But these disengaged and these toxic people kind of they, they come from somewhere. So let's talk about maybe what takes somebody from that engaged population to the disengaged or toxic population. And maybe before we even do that, 
Um, this is the part of the program a lot of times. Whenever I'm with an organization and I'm speaking, somebody will raise their hand in the back of the room and say like, yeah, but some people are just naturally knuckleheads, right? Some people just naturally don't care. Okay, let's remove a small percentage of people that just don't care because I think that's a tiny population. But let's remove them from the equation. We're still stuck with this idea that, okay, so hired an engaged person. What are the things that drives, uh, I'll say us, you know, as employees as well, what are the things that drives an engaged person maybe to the disengaged and then on into the toxic part? Don, I'll let you start. Yeah, we talk about this evolution of toxicity, right? Where does it come from? Because I hope you're not hiring people that have a subject line on their resume. You know, the, the purpose of my job search here is to find a company that I can destroy from the inside. <laughs> right. That's, that's my goal. You know, I, I hope people aren't hiring people like that. I hope you're hiring people that are enthusiastic about the job, uh, that want to come and work for you. Uh, you know, let's start with that. But then what happens to that engaged person that makes them toxic? You know, a lot of times it's around something that we call, you know, it, it can be around a couple of things. Uh, one thing is it can be just a lack of engagement. Like, how do you get engagement from people? Uh, you actually engage them. Yeah. Uh, it could be what Bethany shared before. Uh, first story of saying, hey, I'm giving some suggestions, but no one's listening to them. Uh, you know, those are things that are getting shot down. So that must not be my place. So then I'm just going to shut up. That gets people to the disengaged side pretty easily. And statistically, by the way, about 50% of the U.S. workforce is disengaged. Uh, about a third are engaged yeah. and the rest are toxic. Um, Which blows but, people's minds when we bring that up, right? I mean, that blows people's minds. I mean, it, it kind of tells you that if you're, if you're an employer, it kind of tells you that nationally, we kind of suck at employing people. Like we're, <laughs> we're not great at doing it. Yeah. Like we just don't, we're not good at engaging people. What a huge opportunity. Only a third of the people like are totally engaged. The rest of them, we're getting part of them right. or they're working against us. Uh, that, that's a huge number. But I think that that part of that evolution that, you know, for the toxicity piece is something that we call an injustice. So something happens that you're cruising along and something comes up and it could be an offhand comment. It could be a direct slight or it could be a, you get shut down in a meeting or something happens. That's an injustice. And if the if it goes unchecked, untreated, where, where nobody says anything and says, well, why did you say that or why did that come up or whatever, then a new story starts to form and the story starts to become a negative uh, story. And the employee starts to think things like, oh, my supervisor doesn't care about me or this company, they're just a bunch of jerks or my employee, the other, my coworkers are jerks. Whatever that story is, the longer that story is allowed to just sit there and build, then what happens is just naturally we start to look for evidence to support that story. And then we start seeing everything that our supervisors say as being negative. Everything that the company says is stupid. Everything our coworkers do is being bad. Uh, and that just feeds that toxicity. So a lot of times the toxicity actually comes from the engagement. I care about the company a lot, but you're doing things that make me upset. Yeah. And then it starts to lead towards the toxicity. Well, this is this is this is also why, okay, so we have this injustice. I always I also like to add the word or a perceived injustice. Maybe it wasn't actually a, an injustice, but you read read the situation wrong. There wasn't transparency in communication. It wasn't actually an injustice, but we took it the yeah. wrong way. It was a perceived injustice. It could be a promotion that I thought maybe I should have gotten. Could be a raise that maybe I thought I should have gotten. You know those types of things, and and not that we you know sometimes we're just avoiding those conversations, but sometimes we don't even know that they're perceiving that as an injustice because we don't have regular ongoing communication. But something else that I think that that and and. 
Diana, uh, you're, you've, you've done this quite a bit and you use, you use a term called cultural branding or cultural imprinting. Whenever we're hiring people, Don, we just talked about hiring practices. When we're hiring people, we have this thing called orientation and onboarding right off the bat. And how can orientation or onboarding maybe lead to a highly engaged employee? It just helps people get on the right, you know, on the same page. It helps with that alignment that we talked about um, so that everybody knows, you know, this is this is where we're going. This is our mission. This is our vision. This is, these are the values that we live by as an organization. And that's why that's why that conversation is so crucial as a part of onboarding. Um, is to make sure people know what it what it means to me to be winning um, within that organization, and so they kind of understand where they fit um, in the organization as um, as a whole. That's good. That's good. Diana, did you have thoughts about that? Yeah, I do. I think that HR people do a good job of the onboarding part, right? Here's your paperwork. Here's all this stuff. Here's your desk. Here's the tour. But I think it's really important that we're intentional about that cultural piece, like. Like you were saying, Bethany, yeah. that that organizational design piece where we show them what are the vision, what are the mission, what are the values of this organization, and how do we think that your strengths are going to add to this company? Because we hired you for this reason, not just to be a cog in the wheel and not just to fulfill this job duty, but we hired you because we saw a very specific strength and we want you to use that. And I think we miss yeah. those parts of onboarding when we do onboarding. I love that. And part of onboarding also in orientation is, is understanding, um, you know, part of that is also understanding the different, you know, lanes that are, that are there. I can't tell you how many different departments or organizations I've worked with that one department does not even know what another department does. And if I don't know what they do, how do I know how to best work well with that other department? And how do I know what I do impacts them and, and maybe set them up for success too? Don? Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. Really, it comes back to the why, you know, and, and we, we sometimes talk about that. We have to know what our why is. And when our why is aligned with our employer, uh, we do some really special things, some really cool things happen. And what's cool about that is not like you said before, not only is the person happier and people tend to get along better at work, which is which I think is important, Diana, <clears throat> but <laughs> it's, it also leads to it also leads to profitability. It improves profitability for the company. And there's tons of research that shows that. If we know what our why is and our why, personal why is aligned with our team's why and our company's why, boy, great things happen. That's where companies really thrive and individuals thrive. Yeah. So let me let me kind of switch gears just a little bit. And here's kind of a softball question. So we have this population of people, approximately 16% of the workforce would be categorized as toxic employees. Like it, it could be just misaligned from the objectives of the vision of the company. It could be, you know, I, I, I hate you already and I can't wait to burn the whole thing down from the inside out, right? Those, those types of things. But what does toxicity do to a workplace? Bethany, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to, for one thing, it's going to drag your good people out pretty quickly. It's going to knock people out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, you're likely to lose your uh, your good people because they're not going to want to stick around and deal with the toxicity. Um, so it's really important that that yeah. is managed uh, pretty quickly. So, the, so uh, the other part of that is your inability as a manager to be able to address toxic employees could have a severely negative impact on the ones that you do you know, uh, really, really value those engaged employees too. And sometimes we don't look at that uh, that way either. Like we, we disregard the impact that toxic people can have on our, on our engaged employees. Don, Diana, what do you, what do you think? 
Yeah, Matt, I love what you said about um, acting quickly as a manager. I think toxic people make everyone miserable. And by the time the manager is hearing about it, all of the employees are already sick of it and have dealt with it for a long time and they're exhausted and they've been doing workarounds and they're avoiding this person and and whatever they're doing in the in their role. It's just causing a bunch of chaos. And so once the manager hears it, it is time to act more quickly and to kind of yeah. have a conversation with that person and see what happened and try to course correct it because it does just infiltrate so quickly and just make everybody miserable. Yeah, and this is yeah. one of those this is one of those things too that 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 we we do avoid that conversation. I mean, we've we've worked with with clients in the past that are you know the feedback that we get from the the owners or the or the managers there those those in leadership roles and manager roles are you know I wish that person would be more positive. I wish that person would have more positive facial expressions. I wish that person would speak more positively about the company. And from the outside looking in, it's like there are some things that you have created, manager, in that environment that might be also dictating their attitude or their performance. Um, and sometimes we always want to put it on them. They need to pick themselves up. A lot of times it's the atmosphere of the culture that you've created. Don? Yeah, totally agree. And you know, what's kind of interesting is you sit here and you think about the toxic employee and how much time managers spend on the toxic employee. Uh, how impactful is it to the team? There's some interesting statistics. Uh, a team working with even one toxic employee is 30 to 40% less productive. Uh, the entire team, just with one yeah. toxic employee on a team, you could have a team of wholly engaged people. You throw a one toxic employee into it and the productivity of the entire team is dropped significantly. Um, another interesting statistic is that an engaged employee is 54% more likely to quit if they work with even one toxic employee. Yeah. So we see this time and time again is who leaves. It's not the disengaged. It's not the toxic employee that you want to leave. It's the engaged employees that tend to leave. Managers, though, get stuck because you might be sitting there. If you're a manager, you might be sitting there thinking about the toxic employee you have. But what is the why are you keeping them? You know, why are they showing up to work every day? And I often say, well, it's because you're paying them to. Why are you doing that? It's probably because you think they're great at their job. I, this, is probably, this is probably not a good time for us to be able to say uh, we're not lawyers. We're not your HR. Please follow your local policies for hiring and firing, uh, because we do work in some states where employment laws are a little more strict than others, and and things like that too. And so we do want to make sure that you're checking the boxes for those. But but the point is, we don't want to allow toxicity, known toxicity, to exist. One, because of the negative in impact it can have on the team, but also your leadership. And two, you're not the only one that knows they're toxic. Everybody knows they're toxic, and they're just waiting to see how you are about to handle that situation. Managers make two mistakes in the toxicity. They overestimate the what that losing that toxic employee would do to the company. They think, oh, they're too good. They have too many people. They're they know too much stuff. They overestimate that. We've seen so many times that toxic person leaves how much easier it is and they think it will be to replace that person. And then they underestimate the negative impact that toxic person has. Everyone's had that experience where the toxic person leaves a team and it's like a renaissance. Like the whole yeah. team just suddenly yeah. starts dancing together. Oh, yeah. This is great. Yeah. And they'll pick up more duties, right? They'll, they'll help fill the gap. Sure, I'll help fill the gap in the meantime until we get somebody else hired. Like I'm willing to do that to not have to work with that person anymore. Yeah. Bethany? Yeah, I was thinking when, when we're talking about... Um, you know, how to manage, how to manage this person. And I think something that, you know, some managers can get, can get trapped in here and maybe even some employees too, um, is just kind of getting sucked into those 
that toxic uh, environment and those toxic conversations without even really realizing it. Um, because I think that sometimes, yeah. you know, I think there's a difference between empathizing with people in situations um, and kind of getting pulled into it. So I think you have to be really cautious too, that you're not, you know, there's a different, you can empathize with somebody's situation, but don't allow them to, to victimize themselves to where it's just becoming um, this continual conversation that you're having and they and and when you're talking about okay you're allowing certain things to happen as a manager I think that's one way that happens um, is that you're just you're allowing this to these conversations to continue because you're kind of feeding it as oh yeah like this is a really sad sob story I'm really sorry for you um, and you just allow that to continue yeah. this is uh, I mean these are all tips and, and things like that stories that we've shared before and and hopefully you're you as you're listening here here are getting some things out of it. But this is also where uh, I get a lot of these questions too. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've sold me. I want engaged people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want toxic people. Uh, so how about we just share maybe some quick tips on, on being able to, what are some things that we can tangibly do if I'm a manager of people, if I'm the owner of the company, uh, what are some of those things that I can tangibly do in order to try to create a more engaged workforce? Don, you want to start with thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think step one is you have to recognize that Gallup states that 70% of disengagement is caused by management. 70% of disengagement. Now, some managers sometimes yeah. get on the defensive when we share that number and saying, well, hey, easy, I'm trying to do the best I can. I get it, but actually that's really good news for you because if you're thinking, where the heck do I find engaged people? What that means is they probably already work for you. It's just right. some different things that you can do to engage them. And, you know, the secret is to engage them, start, start showing them, giving them more information about the job, sharing more, uh, finding opportunities for them to make improvements. Uh, you know, yeah. we, we talk sometimes about something we call coffee projects. Uh, you know, we had a client that we went to and we just asked them really quickly, you know, hey, what opportunities do you see to improve the place? And they had a lot of disengaged employees and they weren't really giving us a lot. And finally, somebody raised their hand and said, well, the coffee in the break room is not very good. Um, so he said, okay, well, let's work to improve that. And so they spun off a team of people that were really interested in the coffee and they met one time. It's not rocket science. It's just coffee. And they figured out what kind of coffee they wanted to get. And they replaced the coffee in the break room and it made it a lot better and it impacted everybody's jobs. And then we pulled them together again and said, now, what else do you think we can do better around here? And suddenly they started, they started coming up with ideas like, oh, I think we can actually improve our sales. I think we can actually improve our productivity. And it was things that impacted the company. So sometimes if you're looking for engagement, start small. Start with a little coffee project. It's a good tip yeah. there. Bethany, let's go to you. And then I want to hear from Diana. Yeah, it's similar. It's a way of engaging is... And I wanted to use the hand clap emoji between us, but delegate <laughs> because uh <-huh. laughs> I, you know, there was a time where I had a manager and um, our whole team, honestly, our whole team was disengaged and our manager was stressed the heck out. And um, the truth is that we really wanted to be a part of something, um, but we, but our manager wouldn't, wouldn't delegate things to us and we, and we all wanted to help. Um, so I think, you know, people don't like to delegate because they feel like, oh, well, they probably don't want to do this thing or they probably don't want to help with this thing. Well, you're probably wrong for one thing. And two, it also depends on what you delegate. Um, because if you're delegating the scraps of the things that you don't want to do, then yeah, that's not great for anybody. Um, but if you can delegate pieces of projects yeah. that are going to be impactful, that people can take ownership of, um, you're doing you and yourself a, 
uh, your team a favor. So I love it. I love it. Delegate. And that's probably a whole topic for another one of these uh, podcasts too. For but, sure. uh, but being able to have a manager that delegates, uh, man, so, so empowering to, to people too. Diana, what are your thoughts? My, my main thing with um, engagement is communication, right? And so many of the things we talk about comes back to communication, but I think you can solve so much so early if you just have the conversation that you don't really want to have, right? Have the conversation with the coworker that keeps bogging down your inbox with unnecessary questions. Have the conversation with the employee that has been late three times, right? If you catch some of those things really early, it won't turn into this massive problem. And if you just talk to them and have questions and see what's going on with them before it turns into toxicity, I think you're going to get so much more out of your staff and so much more out of your co-working relationships if you just have the conversation. All right. So those are those are all great. I, I think I would probably... Um, if we were awarding points for the pro tip of the day, I think Bethany wins. Um, but, uh, you know, they're all good. Uh, so I can increase communication. I can delegate some of the responsibilities and really find out who the leadership, uh, you know, leaders are there. And I don't like Don said, don't be afraid to start small. I think if we, I think if we do start small, we're creating a little level of engagement and you'll see, you know, who wants to take the reins and really start to start to move forward, even without the prodding. I mean, I think that also helps with, with succession planning too. So, so hopefully this is, this has helped. I know that we've talked a little bit about what engagement, you know, what does it look like? What does disengagement look like? How do we go from an engaged employee to maybe disengaged, toxic? What are some of those tangible things as managers of people? What are some of those tangible things that I can do to try to create more engagement? Like Don said, the field is ripe for the harvesting, right? They're, they're probably already working for us. 70% of disengagement caused by management is not a slight on management. It is a tremendous charge to remind you of the power of influence that you have over your people. And that's awesome. It's awesome. They're already there. How do I leverage that? So any other topics, any other things that you would like us to discuss? We'd love to hear from you. Bethany, can you remind them how to get a hold of us? Yeah, well, a few things. First of all, if you found today's episode helpful, make sure that you're sharing it with your friends, your coworkers, and your boss. Um, and also don't forget to subscribe. Um, and then if you have questions that you would like to see covered in future episodes, shoot us an email at morethanworkpodcast at peoplecc.g. Um, you can also send us a message on Anchor. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the More Than Work podcast. Join us next time, and in the meantime, lead well.